and fill them with your spirit. We love you. And in Jesus' name pray. Amen. Amen. All right, well, we're there in Luke chapter number 13 tonight, and we are making our way through the gospel of Luke, verse by verse, chapter by chapter. We've been on this journey with Jesus, and we've been doing something a little peculiar, something we don't normally do, and we've been going through this book on, in all the services, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, and uh, every sermon has been different, unique, every passage having its own theme. And tonight, we find ourselves here at the beginning of Luke, Luke chapter number 13. And tonight, we're going to be looking at the first five verses. And I want you to notice that in this passage of Scripture, and I'll just be upfront with you, I did not plan this. I could not have planned this uh, in regards to where we would be on uh, a day like today. But in this passage of Scripture, uh, Jesus deals with the fact of, who, of uh, human suffering and human tragedy. You know, if you notice there in Luke chapter 13 and verse 1, he is given an example that is brought up to Jesus of the Galileans who uh, suffered and were killed at the hands of Pontius Pilate. In Luke chapter 13 and verse 1, the Bible says there were present at that season some that told him. The him there is referring, of course, to the Lord Jesus Christ. Some that told him of the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. So here, an uh, individual comes to the Lord Jesus Christ, and he brings up to him the fact that this had happened. And we would assume that this is probably headline news uh, during the time of Christ, that there were certain Galileans who Pilate, and of course is referring to Pontius Pilate, uh, he had had them killed, and he had their blood mingled with their sacrifices. So we see that an example is brought up to the Lord Jesus Christ about these Galileans who Pontius Pilate had killed. And then I'd like you to notice in verse 4, we see another example, which is not brought up to Jesus, but is brought up by Jesus himself. And in verse 4, he says, uh, or those 18 upon whom the tower of Siloam fell and slew them, think ye that they were sinners above all men, that dwelt in Jerusalem. I'd like you to notice that in this passage, what we're going to talk about is this idea of human suffering, the idea of human tragedy, uh, the idea of when bad things happen to people, and it's 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 kind of be fitting. And I and like I said, I did not plan this, but in the providence of God, God chose for us to be in Luke chapter 13 and verses one through five on a day like today, because of course, as I opened up this portion of scripture, began to study it uh, for this uh, weekend's services, I could not help but make the correlation between what is being spoken of here and what uh, today as Americans we are remembering. And it is, of course, the day is September 11th, and our nation remembers the tragedy uh, of the uh, Twin Towers attack, of course, when the towers fell and uh, the Pentagon was hit, 3,000 uh, were killed in one day. And it's interesting because the, 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 the September 11th attacks are kind of a mixture of what is brought up in these verses. Because in verse 1, it's brought up this, this event where Pontius Pilate had these people killed. Some told him that the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And then in verse 4, he talks about a tower that fell. The tower of Siloam fell and slew them. 
think uh, ye that they were sinners above all men. And the attacks of September 11th are kind of a mixture of this because obviously they were not an accident. They were done on purpose in order to uh, take human life. But they were towers that fell. And it just is fitting that we would be in a passage like this on a day like today. And of course, if you were alive during September 11th, if you were not a, a baby or a toddler, uh, that is a day that you'll probably never forget. I'm sure every single person here remembers uh, where they were. In fact, let me just ask you, raise your hand if you remember where you were on September 11th when you found out. I mean, it's, it's, it's one of those things. A generation before that would say that they would remember where they were when uh, JFK was assassinated. It's just one of those things that when you find out when you become aware it's just imprinted in, in your mind and it's it's something that you'll never forget and here we see that Jesus is speaking on this subject and we're going to deal with the subject tonight we're going to deal with it very thoroughly um, I'm going to teach you what he's talking about and then we'll come back and make an application even yet another application to September 11th uh, later on in the sermon but I want you to notice that the way that Jesus deals with this is he asks two questions, he gives two answers, and he gives an application. So the way we're going to outline this passage, this portion of Scripture tonight, the way we'll deal with this idea of human tragedy and the way that I will deliver this sermon to you tonight is in these categories. Number one, we'll deal with the question that Jesus asks, then we'll look at the answer that Jesus gives, and then we'll end with the application that Jesus makes. So I want you to notice, first of all tonight, if you're taking notes, you can write this category down. Let's look at the question uh, that Jesus asks, the, the question that Jesus asks. And I want you to notice that Jesus asks a little bit of what we might consider a criticizing question, a question that is meant to criticize the person that the question is being asked to. Notice there again in verse 5, Luke 13 and verse 5, there were present at that season some that told them of the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices Notice Jesus' response to this when he's told. Jesus is pretty much here, and, and he's told about these headlines. Hey, did you hear about the Galileans who Pilate had killed, who Pilate had murdered, whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices? And here's Jesus' response, a kind of criticizing question that he gives as a response to the news being given to him. Verse 2, And Jesus answering said unto them, Suppose ye that these Galileans were sinners above all the Galileans because they suffered such things. So here it's brought up to them. They said, hey, did you hear about these Galileans who, who were killed by Pontius Pilate? And the question the, the, that Jesus gives as a response is this. Do you think that these Galileans were sinners above all the Galileans? Because they suffered such things, because this happened to them, do you think that they were worse than other people because this happened to them? And then notice Jesus says in verse 3, we'll come back to this, he says, I tell you nay, but except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. Verse 4, then Jesus brings up his own example. He says, or those 18. He said, what about the 18 upon whom the tower of Siloam fell and slew them? And then he asks again the criticizing question, think ye that they were sinners above all men that dwell in Jerusalem. And Jesus makes this, he asks this question, and it's a criticizing question. He says, do you think that because this happened to these people, because they were killed, because this tower fell upon them, do you think that they were sinners above all the Galileans, or sinners above 
all men. Now, you may be asking yourself, why is Jesus making this point? Why is Jesus asking this criticizing question? And I will submit to you tonight that the reason that Jesus asked the criticizing question is because of the fact that most people tend to make a critical assumption whenever they hear of a tragedy befalling somebody else. Oftentimes, it is the case that when we hear of some natural disaster or some accident or some heinous murder or something that happens, human tendency seems to be that the assumption that we make is that, well, you know, they must have done something really bad. They must deserve that. It must be something that happened to them. Now, I will make the point to you that sometimes that is a true case, and we'll see that in Scripture. But Jesus is making this point and he's asking this question, do you think that just because these people suffered these things that they were any worse than you are? That they were any more sinners than you are? And Jesus is asking a criticizing question because of a critical assumption. Now I'd like you to keep your place there in Luke 13. That's our text for tonight. But go with me if you would to the book of Job, Job chapter 4. If you open your Bible just right in the center, you'll more than likely fall in the book of Psalms. Right before the book of Psalms, you have the book of Job, Job chapter 4. Then do me a favor, when you get to Job, uh, put a ribbon or a bookmark or a bulletin or something there because we're going to leave it and we're going to come back to it. Job chapter 4. I, pro- I-, I will do my best to go as quickly as I can tonight. This morning I preached uh, for about 10 minutes more than I usually do and I will try to make that up to you, but I can't make any promises, all right? The truth is this. We as humans tend to assume that when we hear that something bad happens to somebody else, that that they must be a really big sinner, that they must have done something uh, to bring that upon themselves. And this is seen throughout all of Scripture, uh, and I'm not going to spend the night belaboring the point, but I I will say this, for an example uh, of this, we really need to look no further than Job's three friends. And I've already preached verse by verse for the entire book of Job. I'm not going to do that tonight, but I will give you one example of many examples in the book of Job where we see this, and for sake of time, I'll I'll just show you the first example. In Job, in the book of Job, in the first several chapters, we get, of course, the narrative and the story and the build-up. In chapter 3, Job speaks uh, to his friends, and and he uh, bewails the fact that he's been, that he was born, and pretty much states the fact that he wishes that he would have never been born and that he would die. And in Job chapter 4, In verse 1, we get the first of a series of speeches given by the friends of Job. And I want you to notice what these men say, and here specifically, Eliphaz. Notice in Job chapter 4, verses 1 through 4, we see the esteem that Eliphaz has for Job. Notice in verse 1, the Bible says, Then Eliphaz the Temanite answered and said, He's the first of Job's friends to speak. Notice what he says, verse 2. He says, If we assay, the word assay means attempt. He says, if we attempt to commune with thee, wilt thou be grieved? And what, what Eliphaz is saying is, Job, I, I want to say something to you, but are you going to be upset if I say this? He says, but who can withhold himself from speaking? He said, well, it doesn't matter. I can't help myself. I, I, I got to say this. Verse 3, behold thou. Now, I want you to notice 
He says in verses 3 and 4 some good things about Job because Job had some good things to be said about him. And Eliphaz really did esteem Job in a high way. Eliphaz says about Job in verses 3 and 4, Behold thou, referring to Job, hast, notice what he says about Job, number one, hast instructed many. And thou, number two, hast strengthened the weak hands. And uh, in verse 3 he says, Thy words... Uh, number three, have upholden him that was falling. And thou, number four, has strengthened the feeble needs. So I want you to notice that Eliphaz acknowledges the fact that Job had helped others, served others, been there for others. He said, you've instructed many. You've strengthened the weak hands. You've upholden him that was falling. He says, you've strengthened the feeble knees. That's Eliphaz's esteem of Job. But I want you to notice Eliphaz's evaluation of Job. Because as an evaluation, he makes the same critical assumption that many people tend to make, and it is that, Job, you must have done something to bring this upon yourself. Job chapter 4 and verse 5, But now it has come upon thee. He, he, he says to Job, he says, Job, you have instructed many, you have strengthened the weak hands, you have upholden or you have held up the one that was falling, you have strengthened the feeble knees. He says, but now it has come upon thee. He says, now, Job, you are weak. Now, Job, you are falling. Now, Job, you're the one that needs help. He says, now it has come upon thee, and thou faintest. It toucheth thee, and thou art troubled. He's pretty much saying, Job, you're a hypocrite. Because when other people were struggling, you encouraged them and you told them not to quit. And now you're failing. Now you're depressed and now you're discouraged. Verse 6, it is not uh, this thy fear, thy confidence, thy hope, and the uprightness of thy ways. Notice verse 7, remember I pray thee. And this is his evaluation. This is his critical assumption of Job. He says, remember I pray thee, whoever perished being innocent. Now I don't agree with this. This is wrong. Remember at the end of the book, God says about Eliphaz and his three friends that the conclusion they came to with Job was wrong. But here's what they said about Job. They said, look, Job, whoever perished being innocent. Nobody dies if they're innocent. Or where were the righteous cut off? He said, I've never seen something like this, Job, where you've lost all your finances, all your children have been killed, you, your, your health has gone down the drain. I've never seen this happen to righteous people. Verse 8, even as I've seen, they that plow, uh, he says, they that plow iniquity and sow wickedness reap the same. Here's what Eliphaz is saying. He's saying, Eliphaz, you have, uh, Job, you have plowed uh, iniquity and you have sowed wickedness. You have been involved in sin and now you're reaping the same. And here's what Eliphaz is saying. Eliphaz is saying, Job, you are reaping what you sow. Verse 9, he says, By the blast of God they perish, and by the breath of his nostrils are they consumed. They said, look, God is destroying you. God is doing this. By the breath of God's nostril, he is consuming you. You are reaping what you sow. Now, here's what you need to understand. Most of the stuff that Job's friends say is not necessarily flat out wrong. Because it is true that sometimes we reap what we sow. It is true that sometimes... Judgment comes upon us because of, uh, because of sin and sin in our lives. But we can't take this attitude that every time something bad happens to somebody, it is as a result of sin in their lives. 
You cannot take the position that every time that something bad happens to somebody, they are reaping what they sow. Yes, that's true at times. But you know what? It wasn't true about Job. Job was not reaping what he sowed. Job had not been involved in any major sin, grievous sin, unconfessed sin in his life. Job was not, uh, was not reaping anything or having any consequences for any sin. This was happening to Job just as a test and a trial and as a testimony. But Eliphaz makes this critical assumption that, Job, you must be a sinner above all men. You must be a sinner above all the Galileans. You must be worse than everybody else because this is happening to you and it's not happening to anyone else. So you see the question that Jesus asked. He asked this question. It's the same question that could have been asked to Job's three friends. He says, suppose ye that the Galileans were sinners above all the Galileans because they suffered such things. Suppose ye, uh, think ye that they would sin, uh, they, they were sinners above all men that dwelt in Jerusalem. Jesus could have asked Job's three friends, do you think that Job is a worse sinner than everyone else because he's suffering such things? And the answer to that question is sometimes yes and sometimes no. And that's the point that Jesus is making. You say, why is Jesus making this point? Here's why Jesus is making this point. Go back to Luke chapter 13. He's making this point because we as Bible-believing, independent, fundamental, Baptist, conservative Christians, we have the tendency to just assume and even get up and teach and preach that whenever anything bad happens to anyone, it's God just, you know, they're wicked sinners and God's destroying them. And Jesus is bringing that up because people are coming to him saying, hey, did you hear what happened to the Galileans? Hey, what about that tower in Siloam that fell and 18 were dead? And Jesus asked the question. Notice it again, verse Luke, uh, Luke chapter 13 and verse 2. And Jesus answering said unto them, suppose ye that these Galileans were sinners above all the Galileans because they suffered such things. Do you think that they were sinners above everyone else in their town because this happened to them? Verse 4, or those 18 upon whom the tower of Siloam fell and slew them, think ye that they were sinners above all men that dwelt in Jerusalem. And I want you to notice the answer is the same answer in verse 3 and in verse 5. Jesus says, I tell you nay. He says no. Jesus is teaching us that just because something bad happens to somebody does not necessarily mean that they were doing anything wrong. He says, you think that this happened to them? And look, here's the question. Do you think that the people in those two towers and in the Pentagon that lost their lives on September 11th when those planes hit those buildings, do you think that those specific people, those 3,000 people, were just the worst Americans in the United States of America, that they were any worse than anyone else in New York City or in the United States of America at that time? And the answer is no. You say, well, maybe there was reprobates there. I'm sure there were reprobates there, but you know what? I'm sure there were Bible-believing Christians that died on that day as well. So to take this attitude that says, any time, any time that something bad happens to somebody, it must be that they were a wicked sinner, Jesus would respond to that, I tell you nay. He says no. So we see the question that Jesus asks, and then we see the answer that Jesus gives. What's the answer? You see it there in verse 3. I tell you, nay. The word nay means no. We see it there in verse 5. I tell you, nay. The word nay, again, means no. Go to John chapter 5. John chapter 5. You're there in Luke. Flip over to John chapter 5. John chapter 5. Let me just say this. 
when natural calamities or disasters happen. They do not provide proof that those who suffer in them are any worse than any, any other sinners and anybody else. That is the point that Jesus is making. If a tower falls and 18 people die, don't assume that those 18 people were worse than you are or worse than anyone else there. When some tragedy happens and some political leader like Pontius Pilate decides to have a bunch of people killed, don't just think that, well, these people must have been really bad and that's why that happened to them. The point that Jesus is making is that sometimes bad things happen to bad people and sometimes bad things happen to what you and I would consider good people. And I say you and I would consider because the truth of the matter is we're all sinners. There's none that do good, no, not one. But natural calamities, disasters... Attacks do not provide proof that the people who suffer in them are worse than anybody else. Now, let me just, let me just be clear about this, because I want you to understand this, because it's good for you to understand just for you to process the news. Because don't we hear a lot, especially in our 24-hour news cycle? I mean, we live in a, in a society today where it used to be that you got your local news and that's all you got. Now you, we hear about every bad thing that happens everywhere, anywhere, at any time. And as you hear about these things, you should be able to process these things through the lens of biblical Christianity. Please understand this. It is true that sometimes bad things happen as a result of sin. That's very true. Sometimes bad things happen because you decided to sin against God and God decided that he was going to punish it, that he was going to chastise it, that he was going to bring judgment upon it. Let me prove it to you. John 5, verse 14. John chapter 5 and verse 14. Here we have a story of Jesus healing a man. In John 5 and verse 14, the Bible says this, Afterward, Jesus findeth him, findeth the man that he just healed in the temple. And said unto him, notice what Jesus says. Now you say, well, why can Jesus say this and I can't? Here's why. Because Jesus is God. Because Jesus is God in the flesh. He knows everything. He knows the heart of man. So Jesus finds this man who he healed in the temple, and he said unto him, John 5, 14, Behold, thou art made whole. Then he says these words to him, Sin no more, lest a worse thing come unto thee. So here Jesus is, we can surmise from the statements that he's making to this man, is that what had happened to this man, what had befallen him, was a result God had allowed it into his life because of sin. And Jesus healed him, and then he said, hey, sin no more. And he doesn't tell us what that sin was, but Jesus is like, you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> Sin no more, lest the worst thing come, on, uh, come unto thee. So look, it is true that sometimes bad things happen as a result of sin. And look, I'm not telling you that we uh, should not at times judge those things. I'm telling you we should be careful about just deciding that every time something bad happens to somebody, that they must be terrible, they must be bad. Now sometimes, look, sometimes it's so obvious that it's just like, you can't, you know, you just, it's, it's, it's obvious. I mean, look, when, when they're having like a Mardi Gras parade in New Orleans and, and a hurricane comes and kills a bunch of queers, okay, you can, you can say like, praise the Lord. God's judgment. 
When some, when some Muslim r- runs into a gay nightclub and shoots up a bunch of homos, it's like, whatever. Praise God. The judgment of God. But, but, but please understand this. Notice, I don't, every time there's a shooting, I don't get up and say, like, this is the judgment of God. Because people were shot up in a grocery store or shot up in a school. That's a tragedy. You suppose that those people are any worse than you? Now, when we're talking about the Sodomite nightclub, yes, I do suppose that those people were worse than the average sinners. You know, look, when, when, you're, when you're talking about reprobates and verified haters of God, then yes, you can make that judgment call. But that's not a judgment call that we should just make about everyone, about everything. It is true that sometimes bad things happen as a result of sin. But it's not true that every time that bad things happen, they happen as a result of sin. You're there in John 5. Go to John chapter 9. Let me give you another example. John chapter 9. John chapter 9 and verse 1. John 9 and verse 1. And as Jesus passed by, John 9 and verse 1, and as Jesus passed by, he saw a man which was blind from his birth. Notice the critical assumption the disciples make. They make the same assumption that Job's friends make. Verse 2, and his disciples asked him, the disciples asked Jesus, saying, Master, who did sin, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? <laughs> this guy's born blind, and they ask Jesus this question, and the question has an assumption. They say, Jesus, who sinned, this man or his parents, because he was born blind, and obviously somebody must have sinned for this to happen. An assumption is being made that somebody sinned. And it's, kind of, it's like this crazy assumption, like, are you serious? You think this guy might have sinned? What, he did something in the womb? His disciples asked him, saying, Master, who did sin, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And this is often the assumption we make when we see something bad happen to somebody. We say, well, they must have done something. Somebody did something. There's a reason for this. Notice Jesus' response. Now remember, we just saw in John 5 that Jesus healed a man and he said, Thou art made whole, sin no more, lest the worst thing come unto thee. So he says, look, this happened to you because of that certain sin. You know what I'm talking about. Make sure you don't do it again or God may do something worse to you. That's what we saw Jesus say in John 5, 14. But notice Jesus has a different attitude in John 9 with this man when he's asked by the disciples, who did sin, this man or his parents? The response from the Savior, verse 3 is, Jesus answered, neither hath this man sinned nor his parents, but that the works of God should be manifest in him. He says, they asked him, who sinned that he was born blind? And he said, nobody sinned. Well, why was he born blind? Jesus says, actually, you all know why this guy was born blind? You want to know why he was born blind? He was born blind so that I could meet him and heal him, and this could be put in Scripture, and that the power of God might be made manifest in him. See, the truth is this, that you don't know why bad things happen to people. I don't know. Now, if they're a filthy, God-hating reprobate, we can make the assumption, praise God, they died and went to hell. But when we're talking about just normal people, you can't sit there and judge and say, this is happening because of this, because of that. You don't know that. Sometimes it may be, lest the worst thing come unto thee. Sometimes it may be, neither hath this man sinned nor his parents, but that the works of God should be made manifest in him. And you know, oftentimes, go go to Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3. Of course, in Genesis, we've got the story of the fall of man. And I'd like you to notice in, in Genesis chapter 3, 
it's interesting to me that Christians like to make these assumptions. Anytime there's a natural disaster, God did it. And look, I believe that there are many natural disasters that God does do. But understand something, that when man fell and sin entered the world, not only was there a curse put upon man, but there was a curse put upon earth. Genesis 3, verse 17. And unto Adam he said, Because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife, and hast eaten of the tree of which I commanded thee, saying, Thou shalt not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for thy sake. In sorrow shalt thou eat of it all the days of thy life. Thorns also and thistles shall it bring forth to thee, and thou shalt eat the herb of the field. The Bible tells us that there was a curse put upon nature, a curse put upon the earth, a curse put upon man. And look, yes, if you want to get technical about it, pretty much every bad thing that ever happens to anybody is a result of sin because of the fact that we live in a fallen world. When there's natural disasters, yeah, that's a result of sin because of the fact that there's a curse on the earth and we live in a fallen state, but not every natural disaster is just an act of God in the sense that God directed it and that God did it. But they're they're all part of the fact that we live in the sin world, the fact that we live in a fallen state, the fact that there is a curse upon the earth. In fact, let me just read this for you. You don't have to turn to these. The Bible seems to indicate, and I'll just give you a few examples, that when God does these natural disasters, the Bible seems to differentiate between when God does it and when it's just something that happens. I'll just read this for you. Well, you're there in Genesis, actually. Go to Genesis 41, if you would, just real quickly. Genesis 41. This is just an example of a phrase that stood out to me as I've read the Bible. One day, I'll I'll probably preach an entire sermon just out of this phrase. But in Genesis 41, you have the story of Joseph. Remember, Joseph was talking about the famine that was going to come to Egypt and to the surrounding land. Notice in Genesis 41 and verse 6, The Bible says, and behold, this is Joseph talking about this dream that Pharaoh had. Seven thin ears blasted with, why don't you notice this phrase, the east wind sprung up after them. It's interesting that when when Joseph talks about the famine for seven years that was to come upon the land of Pharaoh, he said, oh, it happens because they were blasted with the east wind. In verse 23 of the same chapter, he says, and behold, seven ears withered thin, and blasted with the east wind, sprung up after them. In verse 27 of the same chapter, he says, and the seven thin and ill-favored kine, now we're talking about the cows that came up after them, are seven years, and the seven empty ears blasted with, notice, the east wind shall be seven years of famine. You don't have to turn here, but in Exodus chapter 10 and verse 13, the Bible says, And Moses stretched forth his rod over the land of Egypt. Remember the ten plagues? Those were natural disasters. And Moses stretched forth his rod over the land of Egypt, and the Lord brought an east wind upon the land all that day and all that night, and when it was morning, the east wind brought locusts. Exodus 14, 21, and Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord caused the sea to go back by a strong east wind all that night and made the sea dry land, and the waters were divided. 
In Job 15.2, the Bible says, Should a wise man utter vain knowledge and fill his belly with the east wind? Job 27.21, The east wind carrieth him away and departeth, and as a storm hurleth him out of his place. I'm not going to read all these for you. Psalm 48.7, Thou breakest the ship of Tarshish with an east wind. Jonah 4.8, And it came to pass when the sun did arise that God prepared a vehement east wind, and the sun beat upon the head of Jonah, and he fainted and withheld in him himself to, and he wished himself to die and said it is better for me to die and to live it's interesting to me that all throughout the bible you you'll notice that often when god moves nature against man it, the bible refers to it as the east wind he said why do you bring that up i just bring that up to tell you that the bible seems to indicate that there is a difference between when nature moves against us because of just sin and when god does it and all of you say well you know when natural disasters, I don't know, I guess when natural disasters happen, read all the articles and see if the east wind was involved. I don't know. I'm just, I'm just telling you, don't make these assumptions that you hear of some flood somewhere or you hear of some earthquake somewhere or you hear, you say, well, you don't think that God, look, there might have been an earthquake as God was judging the land or there might have just been an earthquake because we live in a fallen state. There might have been a flood because God is judging some city or there might have been a flood because we live in a fallen state. The point that Jesus is making is, don't assume that just because something bad happens to somebody that they were worse sinners than others. It is true that sometimes bad things happen as a result of sin. But it is not true that every time a bad thing happens, it's a result of sin. Sometimes it's just because we live... And it is a result of sin in the sense that it might just be because we live in a fallen state, but not specifically God judging a certain sin. Go back to Luke chapter 13. So we talked about the question that Jesus asked. And then we talked about the answer that Jesus gave. Now let's quickly tonight look at the application that Jesus makes. Because Jesus makes an application with this little talk he has. The question is, suppose ye that, they, that these Galileans were sinners above all Galileans because they suffered such things. The answer is, I tell you nay. And then here's the application. But except ye repent you shall all likewise perish. In verse 4, he brings up another example. Or those 18 upon whom the Tower of Siloam fell and slew them. Here's the question Jesus asked. Think ye that they were sinners above all men that dwell in Jerusalem? Here's the answer to the question. Verse 5, I tell you nay. Here's the application. But except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. Now when you look at the application of the Lord Jesus Christ, there's a couple of ways that people have chosen to look at this and interpret it. And I'll, I'll deal with both because I want to answer both. I'll tell you that my, my personal interpretation and what I lean towards is not this first one I'm going to give you, but the next one. But I'd, I want to answer both. If someone takes the position that these statements by the Lord Jesus Christ I tell you nay, but except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. If somebody takes the position that that applies to salvation, and some people do, I don't necessarily do. But let me just answer that. Because some people will take this passage of Scripture, and it's, it's funny to me, because people take this passage of Scripture, try to turn it into salvation Scripture, and then try to teach repent of your sins. They'll say, look, you're no better than anybody else. You got to repent just like they got to repent. And, you know, they, they were 
these sinners and you're a sinner. But let, let me help you understand something, okay? First of all, in verse 3 and 5, when it says repent, it does not say repent of your sins. Except you repent of your sins, you shall all likewise perish. You, if you believe that, you've got to at least be intellectually honest enough to state the fact that you added that into it. Because it doesn't say that. It doesn't say, except you repent, you shall likewise perish. Go, go to Ecclesiastes, if you would, Ecclesiastes chapter 9. You kept your place in Job. Right after Job, you have Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes chapter 9. So let me just speak to those that might think this is referring to salvation. And let me just say this. I see the word repent, and this is often the conversation I have with the repent of your sinners. People say, you got to repent of your sins to be saved. Show me that in the Bible. Oh, there's lots of verses. Lots of verses in the Bible that say you got to repent of your sins. Okay, show me one. Then they'll take you to some passage, and it says repent. And I'm like, no, look, I don't... Maybe you're not... Maybe you don't have your glasses on. I'm not sure. I just need to understand something. I see the word repent, but where does it say repent of your sins? Because the Bible teaches that when it comes to salvation, repentance is simply turning from one thing to another. It can be applied to sin if we're talking about sanctification. But when we're talking about salvation, you don't turn from sin to the Savior. You turn from Allah to the Savior. You turn from atheism to the Lord Jesus Christ, from not believing to believing. So if you want to apply this to salvation, which I would not necessarily do that, I would just make the point that simply because the word repent is being used, it does not say you got to repent of your sins. So if you take the position that this, is, this applies to salvation, which I necessarily don't do that, you say, well, how would you interpret that then? I would, I, I would say, look, Jesus is saying, if you want to apply it to salvation... The point that I'm making is this. If you want to apply it to salvation, you're still wrong. (laughs) Because Jesus is saying that it doesn't really matter how you die. You're all going to likewise die. He's saying, look, you don't think these people were worse than you. If you want to apply it to repent, I would force you to use the biblical definition of the word repent, which means to go from unbelief to belief, to go from... Uh, uh, trusting in yourself or in your works or in your religion to trusting on Lord Jesus Christ. And, and I would say, if that's how you want to look at it, then, then the, the only application you could really take from it is that Jesus is saying, except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. He's saying, look, don't, don't look at somebody and say, oh, well, they died in some tragic way. They got shot up or they, the, the towers fell on them. They must have been worse sinners. Jesus is saying, it doesn't really matter how you die because the truth of the matter is, we're all going to die likewise. Maybe not in the same fashion, but we're all going to die just like they died. And at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter how you died, we're all going to die. Are you there in Ecclesiastes 9? Look at verse 1. If you want to apply it that way, I don't necessarily apply it that way, but if you want to apply it that way, that's all you can take from it. You can't teach repent of your sins doctrine when those words aren't even there. Ecclesiastes 9, verse 1. For all this I considered in my heart, even to declare all this, that the righteous and the wise and their works are in the hands of God. You know that everybody is in the hands of God? That doesn't mean that everybody is saved. I'm not talking about eternal security. I'm just saying that we are all within the earth, the, the system that God created. 
No man knoweth either love or hatred by all that is before them. Look at verse 2. All things come alike to all. There is one event. One event. So what is that referring to? Death. And as it is appointed unto man once to die. There is one event to the righteous and to the wicked. To the good and to the clean. And to the unclean. To him that sacrificeth, and to him that sacrificeth not. As is the good, so is the sinner, as he that sweareth, as he that fear, uh, feareth an oath. He said, look, it doesn't matter if you're religious or not religious. It doesn't matter if you're good or bad. It doesn't matter if you're wicked or righteous. One event happens to everybody, and it is death. The only people that are going to get away from death is those that live to the rapture. But by and large, throughout human history, we all likewise perish. Look at verse 11, same chapter. Ecclesiastes 9, verse 11. Ecclesiastes 9, 11. I returned and saw under the sun that the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, neither yet bread to the wise, nor yet riches to men of understanding, nor yet favor to men of skill, but time and chance happeneth to them all. Here's what he's saying. Before you start getting too proud about, you know, all your accomplishments and all your successes, realize that the race is not necessarily to the swift. The fastest guy doesn't necessarily win every race. And the battle is not necessarily to the strong. The strongest army does not necessarily win every battle. Neither yet bread to the wise. Just because you're wise doesn't mean you get bread. Nor yet riches to men of understanding. Just because you have understanding doesn't mean you get riches. That plays a role in it. And that has a part in it. But time and Chance happened to them all. Everybody gets their time. Everybody gets their chance. Everybody gets their opportunity. Verse 12. For man also knoweth not his time. As the fishes that are taken in an evil net, and as the birds that are caught in the, in the snare, so are the sons of men snared in an evil time when it falleth suddenly upon them. You say, what if I walk into a grocery store and some uh, maniac, you know, comes in there and shoots, us, uh, shoots up the place and I die? He says, as fishes, are, as fishes that are taken in an evil net and as birds that are caught in the snare, snares a trap, so are the sons of men. Sometimes bad things just happen because we live in a fallen world, because we live in a sinful state. Sometimes it's God's judgment. Sometimes it's just the sin and sinfulness of man. In no way, shape, or form does this passage teach us that you have to repent of your sins. And if you want to apply it to salvation, which I don't necessarily think you need to or should, but if you want to apply it to salvation, here's the only biblical application that you can make, and it is this, that we should not look at others who died tragically and think, well, they must have been worse, because the truth is this, what Jesus is saying is, we're all going to die. We're not going to be any different than them. Man also knoweth not his time. We all are going to likewise perish. We may not perish in the same way they perish, but we're going to perish like they have perished. Go back to Luke chapter 13. While you turn there, let me just make a few applications, then I'll give you a, a, a few just thoughts 
the, theological thoughts, I guess we could say, and, and then I'll, I'll give you my application, what I tend to think. Here's some theology of when bad things happen. I just want you to get this. I want you to understand this because it might help you process things. Theology of when bad things happen. Every bad thing that happens is a result, in general, of the fall. Every bad thing that happens is filtered through God. I, I want you to understand that. In general, every bad thing that happens is a result of the fall because not, there, there would be no death, there'd be no sickness, there'd be no pain, there'd be no tragedy if it was not for the fall of man. So in general, yes, every bad thing that has ever happened to anyone is a result of sin if you, if you are just referring to the fact that we live in a sinful and fallen state. And I want you to understand this. Every bad thing that happens is filtered through God. That does not mean that God did it. That does not mean that God put it into motion. But it does mean this, that anything bad that ever happens to you, God knew about it. And God saw it. And God allowed it. And to some extent, we have to trust in the providence of God. Some bad things that happen are done directly by God. That's true. Sometimes he blows the east wind and he brings judgment and he brings chaos and he, and he brings wrath. I mean, Sodom and Gomorrah was not a natural disaster that happened as a result of the fallen nature. God did that. The judgment that uh, Jonah was preaching would come to Nineveh was not saying, hey, God might do something bad here. He was saying, no, God's judgment is coming. So look, understand this. Some bad things happen and they are done directly by God. Yes, we know that's true. But not every bad thing that happens is necessarily directed by God. That's the theology of when bad things happen. Let me give, let me give you some practicality for when bad things happen. With this in mind, with what in mind? These thoughts. Every bad thing that happens is a result of sin in general. Every bad thing that happens is filtered through God. You can be sure of that. Some bad things that happen are directly directed by God. And some bad things that happen are not necessarily directed by God, but they're allowed by God because of this fallen state. With that in mind, let us not be too quick to judge other people as wicked sinners when something bad happens to them. Job's friends. Sometimes it is extremely obvious that bad things happen as a result of sin and in those instances, we can all learn from that. But when bad things happen, you say, what should be the approach then? You know, if I don't really know of something bad, you know, something bad happened to a fellow church member, family member. I don't really know. Maybe it was sin, maybe it was not. What's my approach? Well, your approach is this. Don't jump to conclusions Amen. and accuse them of doing something wrong. You might look like a fool like Job's three friends. But let me say this. Here's the difference. When something bad happens to you, you say, what do I do with that? Here's what you should do. You should personally be asking yourself whether I have done something to deserve this. Amen. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Amen. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any wicked way in me. 
So look, here's the attitude. The attitude is when something bad happens to somebody else, unless they're a wicked, reprobate, you know, just a hater of God, then we can rejoice and be glad and say, praise the Lord that they died and went to hell. But when something just bad happens to just someone in general, we should not jump to conclusions. We should not judge them harshly. We should not say this happened because this. You don't know. Maybe it did. Maybe it didn't. We should try to help them if we can, encourage them if there's any way for us to do that. But when bad things happen to us, we should take a moment and ask ourselves, is God punishing me? Is God chastising me? Is there anything in my heart? that? And look, you say, well, how will I know? You'll know. <laughs> You'll know. Job was not without sin. Job was a human being like anybody else. But Job said, look, there's no major sin in my life that I'm just hiding that I know this is what God's doing. Say, so what is that? That's called having a clear conscience. That's, that, that's called knowing that you're right with God, not that you're sinless, not that you're perfect, but that you're right with God, that you've dealt with your sin. And, and look, if, if you come to that place, you said something bad really happened to me, and, and you know, I'm asking the Lord, have I done anything wrong? And, and I can't think of anything. The Holy Spirit's not really bringing something up to me. My pastor's not texting me saying, hey, you might want to deal with this. <laughs> then you just go forward with, I don't know what God's doing. I know that he's testing me, he's trying me, and I shall come forth as gold. But we don't sit there and then judge other people, say, well, this is why this is happening to you, this is why, it's because you did this, because you did that. Hey, in fact, the Bible says, you say, what's the problem with that? The problem is that oftentimes it's not just that we want to judge other people, it's that we almost rejoice in it. We're happy they didn't get their job. We're happy they, you know, they, they they got this or they got that. You know what the Bible says? The Bible says that when we rejoice in the sufferings of others, that God will turn around and bring that suffering upon us. So yes, every bad thing that has ever happened to anybody is a result in general of sin. And every bad thing that happens to anybody has been filtered through God. You were shocked and I was shocked on the day of September 11th, but God was not shocked. Some bad things happen, and they are done directly by God. Other bad things happen, and they're not necessarily done directly by God. Go, go back to Luke chapter 13. You say, you had two applications. You gave us the first one. What's the second one? The second one is the one that I tend to believe. And it is this, Luke 13. I told you I'd try to get you out early. That's obviously not going to happen. That happened because we live in a fallen state. <laughs> I lied to you because of, you know, either God's punishing you <laughs> or, or it's Adam's fault. I'm not sure. I am the instrument of God's judgment upon you right now. Luke 13, 3. I tell you nay, but except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. Suppose ye that these Galileans were sinners above all the Galileans because they suffered such things? Or those 18 upon whom the Tower of Siloam fell and slew them, think ye that they were sinners above all men that dwelt in Jerusalem? I tell you nay, but except ye repent, you shall all likewise perish. Now if you want to apply this to salvation, I would say you can't apply it to repent of your sins. That's not in the text. You can't do that. If you want to apply it to salvation, then the only application I would make is you better get saved because no matter how you die, you're all going to die and you better get ready for that day. But I tend to think that the position here does not apply, the application here does not apply to salvation, and that Jesus is saying 
to these people. Because remember, in the context, and we've dealt, we've dealt with this extensively throughout the last several weeks, he's talking to, he's talking to the lawyers and the Pharisees. Remember, he just got done rebuking them and preaching against them. And then he's, he just got done, we saw it this morning, giving them all these thoughts about end times. And he ended with saying, hey, you're going to be taken before judgment. You better get right. You better get saved. You better make it right before the day of judgment. And in, in that context, they said, well, what about these Galileans? And Jesus says, what about them? And what he's saying to them is, if your nation doesn't repent, you will all suffer a similar consequence. Ye shall all likewise perish. Because here's the truth of the matter. Individuals do not have to repent of their sins in order to be saved. But nations do have to repent of their sins to not be judged. Nations are not judged in the other life, in the other world. There is no judgment for nations in the next life. Therefore, nations must be judged in this life. The application is this. On September 11th, when those Twin Towers fell, those 3,000 individuals were not any more sinners than anybody else in this nation. But that was a wake-up call to the United States of America that except we repent, we shall all likewise perish. That God's judgment will come upon all of us and let us not look at any one individual and say, well, that must have happened to them because they live in New York, but I live in Idaho or Texas and therefore I'm right with God. No, we shall all likewise perish. God's judgment is for everyone and whenever God sends judgment, we should allow it to drive us to get right with God. You say, I don't know about this nations having to repent. Let me prove it to you. 2 Chronicles 7.14. I'm sure you know it, but let's look at it. 2 Chronicles 7.14. You find the one, two books in the Old Testament. They're all clustered together. 1 Samuel, 1 Kings, 1 Chronicles. 2 Chronicles 7.14. On September 11th, I was a sophomore in high school. I remember where I was and what happened on that day. My wife and I have talked about it, and she remembers where she was, and just like you do. That night, we went to church. We didn't go to church because of September 11th. There was a conference going on, and we just happened to be going to church that night. And as you can imagine, the theme of the tragedy of those days, that event, took over the church services for that day and for many days after. I remember when it happened, we sang a lot of patriotic songs in those church services. One was the song in our hymn book, 435, Oh Beautiful for Spacious Skies. I remember our pastor reading these words, Oh beautiful for heroes proved in liberating strife, who more than self their country loved, and mercy more than life. America, America, may God thy gold refine. To all success be nobleness and every grain divine. And then he read these words, verse 4, O beautiful for patriots dream that sees beyond the years. Thine alabaster cities gleam, Undimmed by human tears. 
remember him stopping there and saying, we can't really sing that honestly anymore. At the time of the writing, they would say that this nation had been undimmed by human tears, but that wasn't true on September 11th. Second Chronicles 7.14 says this, If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn, here's the repent, from their wicked ways. This is not for salvation. Then will I hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. We see the question that Jesus asked. Do you think that these people were worse than other people because this happened to them? We see the answer that Jesus gave. I tell you nay. And we see the application that Jesus makes. But except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. And the truth of the matter is this, that as we see the judgment of God come upon our nations, let us not get proud and arrogant and think, well, those people must have been worse. No, no. Because he says, if my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked way, then, so what's the answer for the revival in America? Could there ever be a revival? I don't know that there could ever be a revival in America, but I will tell you this. The recipe for revival is not politics. It's God's people getting right with God then I will hear from heaven. I will forgive their sin. I will heal their land. And the application by the Lord Jesus Christ is, don't worry about what they did and what happened to them because except your nation repent. Similar judgment will come upon all of us. You shall all likewise perish. Let's bow our heads and have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this passage of Scripture. By your providence, you'd have us be here on a day like today. And Lord, I just pray you'd help us to always have the proper mindset, the proper attitude. When bad things happen, sometimes it is obvious that God is judging a certain location or a certain thing. But it's not always obvious. Especially when speaking with individuals, we should not assume. We should not be like Job's friends, just assuming that they must be worse than other people. Because there's a lesson there for all of us. Except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. Lord, I pray that you'd help us not repent of our sins to be saved, but repent of our sins to keep the judgment of God from coming upon our nation. In the matchless name of Christ, we pray. Amen. Brother RJ, if it's okay with you, would you mind if I lead this song? Is that all right? Let's, let's take our songbooks and go to page number 435, if that's okay. Can we do that, 435?